0: Welcome back to Misunderstood, I'm Rachel Yucatel. Okay, so I feel like you guys all probably know her name, Dita Von She is somewhat iconic, and if you're not really sure what she represents, you're gonna love this show. So for a long time, I've heard her name, Um, I know her face. You know, I know her look. It's an iconic look that she's had and it really hasn't changed. We all know that she was married to Marilyn Manson. But what do we really know about her besides the image that's in our minds of her, um, you know, laying seductively in a martini glass? So I think you're really going to like this episode because we really get to know who Dita is behind the headlines. She grew up in Orange County, California, and at an early age was heavily influenced by movies and movie stars of the 1940s. She began dressing in vintage and played around with makeup and hair color, perfecting her look. And before she became the Dita we all know today as the queen of burlesque, there were lots of stops along the way. There were strip clubs, fetish photo shoots, and even her own pay website before things like Cameo or OnlyFans existed. I think most people really got to know her when she had that Betty Page haircut and started being seen on the red carpet with her then-husband, Marilyn Manson. But the truth is, she was always an entrepreneur. She saw a space for herself doing something no one else was doing and created a brand. Last year, Dina's iconic martini glass dance was featured in the film Don't Worry Darling with Harry Styles and in Taylor Swift's video Bejeweled, not bad company to be in. I got to talk to Dita about Taylor, the show she's currently performing in at the Jubilee Theater in Vegas, the evolution of burlesque and how she played a huge part in bringing it all back to the masses. Personally, I really had no idea about the history of burlesque or even exactly what that was before talking to her. She's such a style connoisseur. It makes me want to redo my whole wardrobe and redecorate my house. So sit back, enjoy getting to know a more personal side of Dita Von Teese. for joining me on Misunderstood. It's so exciting to have you here. Nice to meet you. I'm excited to be here. So I wanted to start by asking you like what it was like for you, because I know you as a child is very different from you now. So what was it like growing up? You're from Michigan and then in Orange County, right? Tell me what that was like.
1: Uh, well, I was born in Rochester, Michigan, and then moved to a town called West Branch, which is a very small town with like 2,000 people. And then I moved with my family to Orange County, California, when I was about 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's like the beginnings of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was like siblings, like what? what's your yes. family? Yeah. I have uh, two sisters, one older and one younger, and um, my parents were married till I was like 16, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, What else can I say? I don't know what's interesting and what's not.
0: (laughs) No, what's interesting is that, you know, you've created such a persona now, and I'm curious because I've seen pictures of you as a child. You were blonde. Your name wasn't Ada. You know, Mm -hmm. so I'm just curious, like, what, you know, how you got to the, to the, position okay. you're in now. Like were you enamored by old movies? Like yeah. what was it that that got you where you are?
1: Well in back in Michigan my mother loved to watch old films from the 30s, 40s and 50s. So there was that. And she also was a big collector of antiques. So um, you know, we were always like going to antique shops and things like that together. So that kind of started my love of old things and and uh vintage movies. So I feel like and my mother's a manicurist. So I'd watch her do people's nails in our home. And um my father was a machinist, um often often out of work when I was when I was little. Um, But, yeah, I I think, like, just it had such a big imprint on me, these classic films. And I grew up kind of just feeling like, oh, that's what I was going to dress like, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was a a grown woman. To me, that was, like, what I wanted to look like. And I was very,
0: very clear in that. (laughs) Right. I'm curious what your friends from high school would say about you. What were you what did they see you as?
1: Yeah, um, in high school, I was still blonde. Um, I did not play with my hair colors yet. But I was in high school. I was working in a lingerie store, and I had like one best girlfriend, and she. We both had long term boyfriends. Her boyfriend was older and went to another school, or wasn't in school anymore, or something. And um, yeah, we were kind of like this birds of a feather. And I worked in this lingerie store, and. Uh, we already like kind of started dressing in vintage and I used to wear like little bustiers with my, my pants and, and skirts and things. So it's kind of like started like that. And of course, like anytime there was a homecoming or prom or something like that, I would really like, you know, wear, turn it out and wear vintage looks. Um, so it kind of started there. Um, and, and when I graduated from high school, I, uh, I went to my first rave party and met all these club kids and drag queens and it kind of like opened up a whole another world for me where I really started like playing with my hair and my makeup and my clothes even more. Mm-hmm. And I first started dressing in vintage because I couldn't afford like the, you know, my parents weren't, weren't buying me like designer jeans and all that kind of stuff. So, um it started with kind of like a necessity because back in the 80s and 90s, I don't you know, vintage clothing was not the big cachet it is now. So, mm-hmm. that's really where it came from and just um yeah, I just always felt like I could I I, ga- I gained a lot of confidence from dressing the way that I liked and I felt like I could, you know, liked. um Kind of creating this this mythological femme fatale um, persona that kind of counteracted my shyness.
0: right. And is that when you finally like did you play with your hair? you said you were playing with your hair? did you finally go black and you were like, "This is it, I love it. this is the style, and you never went back, or how did that become? It's kind of gradual. like um in my like
1: nineteen to twenty one, I was wearing my hair. It was still blonde, but I wore it in like a beehive do and I used to put all these like like things in my hair in my beehive like jeweled uh butterflies and and rhinestone things and everything. So it's kind of like doing this sixties thing with the thick black cat eye. And then I kind of shifted pers- you know shifted eras um but from like a like a late 60s to like a 50s like you know I dyed my hair bright red and I wore it in a, a flip and then I cut it into like a black Louise Brooks um bob haircut right after that and then once I went with then I grew it long and I was very into Betty Page so this is like you know I was like all of this happened in the course of like eight, 19 to 21 mm. um and, yeah, and then I kind of, I started, beca- I became very uh, interested also in the swing dance scene. It was, like, in Orange County, the swing dance scene was really, like, bubbling up there because a lot of the, the dancers that worked at Disneyland, which, like, if you grew up in Orange County, you know, a lot of people had a passion to Disneyland, especially back then when it was, you know, you could just go there on a whim and it was, like, $25 to get in. <laughs> very different <laughs> But like a lot of my friends and people in the dance world worked at Disneyland and that's kind of where, you know, we started learning how to swing dance was kind of like in that whole scene. And so then I became really into the forties, like thirties and forties and bought my first vintage car and I was dressing head to toe in forties clothes and going out swing dancing. And that was like, you know, the like 1994 kind of Right.
0: That you were classically trained as a ballet dancer. Is that true? I know kind of the word classically
1: trained is a little bit funny because I, you know, I started taking ballet classes in West Branch, Michigan, a little ballet studio that was not much. And then in Orange County, I was, you know, in, in both there and in Orange County, I was cleaning the bathrooms in exchange for ballet classes so i wouldn't i'm not i don't come from like a fancy ballet school and i was you know like right. i think when orange i did
0: you star in the Nutcracker
1: or something yeah i know i mean i was like a snowflake in the like little rinky dink ballet production in orange county you know like i was that kind of dancer like struggle always struggling i always loved ballet loved dance but sometimes when I see it on paper and they say she comes from classical ballet and I was like oh lord i'm not like you know and this i i listen to all these Podcasts about the sh- the showgirls, and I'm like, they come from all these like famous ballet schools all over the world. And I'm like, oh no, that's not the kind
0: of ballet that I
1: did, you know? <laughs>
0: okay, well, thanks for clarifying
1: that. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: it's funny. So I see that you started working at a strip club though when you were 19. Is that yes. like your first? job that required some um, sort of dancing and movement kind of yeah there's i was doing i was kind of like ugh, i had so many jobs <laughs> worked in
1: the lingerie store when i was 14 just tagging things And i was a sales girl so i worked in lingerie and um then like i was saying i worked in the rave scene like i was a go-go dancer that was kind of my first like on stage thing and then i went wandered into a strip club with some friends and i was like to do this too. So I was working like all these jobs at once. And for a little while I was graduated from I was working in a department store selling lingerie and then I wanted to work in beauty. So I went into worked in in at the Shiseido Counter um, mm-hmm. while I was doing all the other, other things, working at the strip club, working in the rave scene. Cause I always kept like a legit job because I was like, well, this is just all stuff that I'm doing for fun, like the strip club and all of these things. Uh, at the same time I was um the most famous fetish model in the world, which is very like, you know, a big fish in a little pond, right? But I was on the cover of all those magazines because I was, you know, kind of rehashing the whole Betty Page aesthetic, doing bondage photos, but doing it all in a vintage way. So I was very famous all around the world for that.
0: Are you excited to jump into 2024? I am. I've made my resolutions. And to be honest, I've never really been good at keeping them, but this year it's going to be different because my resolutions are to save money, spend more time with friends and family and eat healthier. And with factor, that's a no brainer factors ready to eat meal delivery sets you up for success. You get chef crafted dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. No prep, no mess, no cleanup you can choose from over 35 meals a week, including options for keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. They have over 55 weekly add-ons. They make it easy to kickstart your new year. And one of my biggest issues that is that I run around all day, from work to errands to chauffeuring my daughter. By dinner, we are starving and exhausted. So ordering takeout becomes an expensive solution. But factor changes all of that. Factors, two-minute meals are my savior. And when our schedule gets too hectic, Factor is flexible so you can change up your order and reschedule your deliveries. They've thought of everything so you don't have to. Lose weight not flavor. Simplify weight loss with ready-to-eat keto meals designed to taste great and make you feel better. Besides these incredible meals and believe me they are delicious, Factor now offers tons of snack options, smoothies and cold-pressed juices, which are my favorite thing to grab when I need an energy boost. You guys are just going to love it. So head to factormeals.com/understood50 use code understood50 that's 50 don't spell out the 50 to get 50% off that's code understood50 at slash understood 50 to get 50% off wait, wait. so so that's really interesting though like how did that come about Um it just I would assume that that's a hard thing to become like the number yeah. one girl in that business I know. How, yeah. Well, I, it started with first,
1: like, it's so hard because it's like there, the timeline is like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I'm dressing vintage, so I'd have like um, foot photography students come to me and say, can I take your picture? You look amazing. And I'd be like, sure. So I'd take these pictures. And then meanwhile, I'm working in the strip club. So I'm like, oh, let's take pictures in my corsets. Let's do these pinup photos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the first pinup website ever on the web, on the internet when my, I remember my boyfriend at the time was like, Hey, there's this thing called the World Wide web and we should put you on it. And so I sold little postcard sets of me posing as a pinup girl and you'd have to like send in your check. And then I'd like sign your little cards and then send it out. So that was like the first ever, it was one page when you could have one, Page on the internet and um,
0: so it's like my space meets only fans,
1: kind of it was, yeah, but way before any of that stuff, so <laughs> right. this is like very early years, and yeah. um, yeah, so I was definitely like the first pinup girl on the web on the internet, uh, and then I my sips so I got bigger and I was one of like the first, I'd say the first, like, like. 10 or 20 people to have like a membership site like it was when all that butt was bubbling and up up and all the like playboy girls were making these membership paywalls where you would take pictures with the other girls and we'd all like share the pictures and put them on our paywall so i had that too so right. i'd say i became famous because i was connected like i would fly to germany and shoot for this magazine called marquee magazine and i do their little like fetish videos you know it's like wearing corsets and walking around and you know uh wearing rubber trying on rubber outfits trying on shoes you know very like you know non um you know <laughs> just I, I just became like the the the, the famous And the modern answer to Betty Page like that by doing all these, like, glossy fetish magazines all over the world. They were mostly, like, in London, and um, there was one magazine uh, in LA and Orange County areas, and performing at these
0: fetish parties, and, you know, everybody in that world knew me at that time. Do you think it's because you had your own look that was kind of more romantic than this, like, you know, wickedly sexy type of girl that can be threatening? Do you know what I mean? Like, you see more... romantic and soft. Yeah. It's, I remember very
1: well how it all started, um, too. And I forgot about this part, but like, so I, I, I was, I was working, you know, I was working in the lingerie store and I wanted to have a corset and somebody gave me an address on a piece of paper. Like here's where you can buy a corset. And I walked in and there was this super nice guy sitting behind the counter and all these, like, you know, a rack of corsets. And tons of magazines and like opera gloves and boots and all this like fetish gear everywhere. And I remember like I, I spent hours there and I was talking to this guy who became a lifelong friend um, and he showed me pictures of Betty Page. And so I'm looking at all these pictures of Betty Page and I'm looking at the modern fetish magazines and they were all like tattooed, pierced, bald girls, like really like in your face. And I was like, how come no one's doing this, though? And he's like it's wide open for you. And that's what I did. Like nobody, nobody was doing that. And so I kind of set my mind to, to do, to do that.
0: Right. It's so interesting because it's like, it it was coming from an earlier age and it was very raw and real who you were. And, and then it seems like it turned into something that people, there was really an opening for that kind of thing. I'm, I'm really curious because I have had a decent amount of um, women on here Mm who are strippers or porn stars are sort of in that in that world um and they have felt very misunderstood their their families disowned them you know there was all sorts of you know stigma that they had to have some like sexual trauma to to go into that field you know you work with so many of these women you started in 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 that kind of environment what what's what do you feel about that does your past have anything to do with it I don't know. From my
1: experience is like having known many women who were hardcore porn stars or softcore porn stars or playboy models or ag- legit actresses or like all of these things, people, I've known lots of these people and I feel like it's across the board. I mean, I feel like every woman I know has a story, like a me too-ish thing or like oh my god I didn't even realize it but like I was date raped or whatever like I feel like there I do not know one woman who doesn't have some kind of story where they're like oh that was weird now I look back and I'm like that was not cool but I don't think that that's like the gold standard of like uh, that abuse makes you turn to sex work I don't believe that at all and there's nothing for me I didn't like become a a stripper dancer for anything reason that happened i like i just wanted to be about ba- i want to be a ballerina when i grew up and i was like realized that my obsessions with ballet like i have an imprint on me i had like this 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 uh vinyl record from the 50s of Tychowski and it had a ballerina from the 50s on it um she had fishnet tights point shoes like a pale blue platter tutu the dramatic makeup the tiara the black hair pulled back and i was like i was obsessed with that and and i realized though like somebody asked me once they said what was it that you never would do never got to do that you wanted to do and i was like well i wanted to be a ballerina but i wasn't good enough you know and they said oh what about it that you loved and i said I mean, it was just like the idea of like the point shoes and the beauty and the femininity and the exaggeration, the drama, and like the makeup and you know. And he and I'm saying all these things, and and, and he says, "Don't you feel like you got everything you asked the universe for?" But in a very different way, and I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "I never heard you say once that you just love to dance," and I was like. No, I didn't love to dance because I was not good at it. I just wanted to move. And I want, I love like, you know, the, 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 the um, like the hands and the head and like the pointing the toes and all of these, like the, the emotion and feeling of dance. But like, I was never like, God, I feel free when I dance. So There's a lot of things in my life that I realized, like things that I saw in my childhood or experienced in my childhood that made me want, that all laid the groundwork for what I do now.
0: Yeah. And it's like childhood
1: session, all of it.
0: And it's interesting because the women that I have talked to, and I've lived in in Vegas for years, um, you know, the women that I knew that did this they all came from a place of feeling very powerful they mm-hmm. did it chose to continue to do it because it made them feel beautiful it made them feel powerful and yes everyone had a story but they um you know they they knew exactly why um they they felt better on stage doing that and then they could go home to like their real life and they, they almost loved that that stage life, right? To them, it was the, the closest they were going to get to being a famous actress and idolized by someone, right? So yeah. um, I, I love hearing that from people. Yeah. What were you feeling? Yeah, same thing. Were your family, were they supportive of you? Um, In the grand scheme of
1: things, yes, but there were moments that they were questioning me, and you can't blame them. Listen, I was literally 20 years old, you know, working in a strip club and like paying my own way, by the way, like I had credit cards paid with very self-sufficient. And, um, but my parents were, you know, maybe they challenged me a few times. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I want to do this thing like Betty Page, you know, because I'm doing all the bondage photos and stuff. And, you know, right. well, sure they wanted to know how you were going to turn this into a real living. had, yeah, Like because there was no blueprint for that. And there was no living blueprint like what Gypsy Rosalie. It hasn't happened in 75 years that there's been a famous bondage model or um, like burlesque star. So it's very much against the odds, which I think, you know, I never had any lofty ideas of fame or that i would have a show in vegas of this magnitude like nothing i never thought anything like that i was just having a good time and um it's just like i you know i didn't i didn't make this goal like i'm going to show you i'm going to be famous you know But right. however at the same time you know the the time when my father finally accepted me and what I was doing was, you know, I was on the cover of Playboy. And like for that generation of men, and that to the time I was on the cover of Playboy, um, for the most the biggest the second biggest issue of the year, the Playmate of the Year, but after was the Christmas issue. Like Sherilyn Fenn and Sharon Stone and Drew Barrymore and all of these like women had been on the cover of Playboy. So like it was the first time my dad was like, okay. Um, so did it was kind of weird to me that like fame legitimize me. Cause I was kind of like, well, this is what I've been doing all along, you know, It's just like, just because you didn't get it. That's not, right. school, you know?
0: <laughs> right. No, I understand. Um, so how did you become, go from Heather Renee Sweet? Like, how did you pick the name Dita Avanti? Um, I was working in the strip club and I
1: was, like I said, I was just a fetish model with the name Dita and like anybody walks into a strip club, you pick like a, an alter ego. It's part of the fun of it, you know, and also so you, people don't know your name and can find out where you live or whatever. Yeah. So, but the Vontis came from the first time I was in Playboy, I was in the play in Playboy in the nineties as well. Um, and it, they have like these book of lingerie they used to have. Um, that came out every other month and it was all like girls, you know, um, from all over the world and so I was in that and I said well I'm just Dita and they go no you have to have a last name I was like why like Madonna share. I want to be like a one name person and they said no so I remember I was sitting at the bar and pulled out the phone book and looked under I was like Vons have cool things and I was looking under the Vons and I found the name Von Trees and I called Playboy and I said I'm going to be Dita Von Trees." and they're like okay and then you know a month and a half later or whatever I go to the liquor store to pick up my issue. And I open it up and it says Dita Von Teese. And I was like, that's not right. And I ca- actually called them and not even smart enough at that point to think like, this could be good Von Teese. No, I call them and I say, Hey, you guys, you got it wrong. It's Von Trees. So there's a R in it. And so then they go, yeah, we'll get it right next month. And then next month it was the same. And finally I was like, whatever. So it's like a very not calculated thing. If I had to do it all again, it would probably be different, but you know. Well,
0: it seems perfect though. I would have thought that they, they changed it for you on purpose. Right. They thought, oh, Von oh, it goes yeah. with the I whole. don't think they even thought
1: that. I don't know what they thought. Um, they didn't say so if that was deliberate, right. but I feel that like that my whole career is, is like that, like a series of things that were not like calculated like I never thought that I was there was all these things that happened that were never like my lofty goals they were just like oh I mean this is great and like getting secretly excited like oh this is you know like I remember being like headlining a strip club in Pittsburgh you know at a truck stop with a billboard and being like huh my name ma- I have all the pictures to prove it to you like here I am proudly standing in front of my strip club billboard in Pittsburgh you know or Wichita Falls. And that to me, I was like, this is my moment. This is the pinnacle of my life. This is as good as it gets. Like, and I genuinely believed it. And I was generally grateful for it, you know, like for everything I was doing. And, and it made it so that everything I did, whether it was, you know, doing my little feather fan dance in a beat down strip club for, you know, whoever, um, I didn't I, I had I was having fun and I feel like I don't mean to be like all universe, but it is like I didn't ask for anything more. I just did my best and enjoyed what I was doing at the time and, and appreciated the moment, no matter how small it seems
0: now. I was gonna say you come off as being very grateful and kind. And you know, there are people that are total hustlers and will do anything they can to make it to the top, and it seems yeah. like every time you got to the top. You thought that was the top of the mountain, but those yeah. were just little hills and, and the mountain getting higher and you were just on, on it for the ride. I love that. Yeah. That's such a good thing. Okay. Tell us what burlesque is. How do okay. you describe it? Okay, it's confusing to some people because burlesque is a term that's
1: been really thrown around and capitalized wow. on in recent years. So burlesque was a variety show that was kind of a spinoff of vaudeville. Like a vaudeville show was a variety show that happened like in the early, you know, 1900s and, and in America. And a burlesque show was kind of started in like the 30s. And it was a little bit more of a racy show. And the stars of the burlesque show were strippers. And it was kind of like a... in 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 the 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 comedy and striptease together like you'd have like famous comedians that would come and or before they were famous actually before they were like movie stars were playing burlesque houses and it was just like more of a raucous kind of show than a vaudeville show like vaudeville is considered more legitimate um and they say like Striptease was kind of born out of like somebody doing a quick change while they were still in view of the audience and the crowd going crazy. And then the manager saying, keep doing that thing where you take off those things before you leave the stage. So it kind of turned into this... Show where the stars of the burlesque show were were striptease stars. So um, there were big stars that came out of burlesque, like Gypsy Rose Lee, who, who many people know because of the musical and the film Gypsy, starring Natalie Wood in 1962, and um, Lily Saint Cyr, who was like of another very famous striptease star, more in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, Sally Rand, who famously did the feather fan dance in 1939 at the World's Fair in Chicago. Um, so there's, like, a few, like, very famous names that people may or may not know, but um, you would recognize, like, there was a movie called The Right Stuff that had a little bit of Sally Rand fan dancing. And so, like, there, if you... Sometimes when I say things like that, people go, oh, I get it now. I remember that. So, um, yeah, it's proves, you know, there have been, like, little burlesque resurgences, but it never as big as it is now. It's been... It's... I feel like in my my career which started in the early 90s um hey get back cats um okay. it, it it's really i've seen like a, um, a major evolution just in and not only just in like my audience you know my audience was mostly male in the 90s and when i came out with my first book um and like around the time or just after i was on the cover of playboy I wrote about why I love burlesque, why I look to it, what it means to me, how I felt empowered, um, you know, in this world. And I had a whole new fan base of, of women and still to this day, mostly my audience is, is mostly female, um, which I feel very, again, like so lucky for that, like, you know, I, I'm. I have this like longevity that probably wouldn't exist if I had just been beneath the hetero male gaze. You know, right. It's, right. it's a different story, different story. And it came from me sharing my story. And I think other other people like saying, I want I want to do that, too. I want to be like that, too. I want to be in control of my sensuality. I want to liberate myself. I want to I want to I, I feel I like to be inspired by a show like this my show has always been about diversity and inclusion since I first started touring, um, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of just like a natural thing that came from burlesque where I was like, that person is an amazing performer. And I felt like I always wanted to present performers that people can, um, feel like they'll change their minds about what a burlesque show is. Like in certain, instead of having a show full of like, pin up girls. um, How do we, how do we change people's minds about what this is? Like, you know, so that's something I did before it was a buzzword, before it was cool. Um,
0: And And, and change people's minds about what beauty is kind of, because I I was going to ask you about self-esteem and body image and, and the size of, of women, right. Many years ago, stick thin, now it's all shapes and sizes. So how do you sort of um, talk to the people that work with you and that are in your show about what is normal and good and looks good, and how do you stay in shape?
1: I mean, I just think, I think a lot about strength and power and ability, and like, you know, although I've played with that in the past too, where I've had in my show non-dancers that just capture your gaze, that just like capture your attention, and I really like look for that, and even in casting this Vegas show, we had these huge auditions, and there were some people that I was like, can't take my eyes off that person. And maybe somebody on the choreo team was like, they're not the strongest dancer. And I was like, I'm sorry, can't take my eyes off that person. And then they, I put them in the show and guess what? I'm right. You know, 90% of the people go, couldn't take my all eyes off that one person. And I was like, I know, because it isn't always about like this show off dancing or, or circusy thing or whatever you're doing. That's like, it's it, sometimes you just, you can't really explain why someone draws your eye. And I'm very interested in that. And I always have been. And so um it's, a, I feel like it's one of the things that I love about burlesque and what I do and that I can break those rules and go against what people say, you know, you should hire, you should have this kind of person. I, I, I don't agree, you know, because like, also I'm not, you know, I come from the, everything I do is born out of the things that you could perceive as my downfalls or the things that are my th- that I'm not good at. But if I had been good at those other things, I would not be the world's most famous burlesque star. Like I would not be doing any of this. And I feel mm-hmm. like I picked the right path and I persevered and I didn't say, oh, I can't, I'm not as good of a dancer as those people. So I can't dance. No, I was like, I'm going to do it in my own way. And um, I just, I'm very, I feel like i even when i think about the artists that i love like whether it's someone who's a singer um there's always something i feel like this in this thing that draws you to them and and sometimes it's the imperfections like I, i'm like i don't like i have a very like particular like taste in like music or singers like i love the way someone like you know frank sinatra communicated right or i love I loved Amy Winehouse um but like I can't stand like really like vocal gymnastics type like synthesized popish stuff I can't I can't listen to it you know <laughs> like I like be, people that have a distinctive voice that is about like something more a different kind of depth if it makes sense you
0: know oh yeah of course yeah it's interesting because you know um there's been a real push, like in gyms, this is such a dumb thing to say, but like, you know, there are classes now on stripper poles. There's sort of a class everywhere about how to be more sexy and you don't necessarily have to know how to dance like that or act like that, but they teach you all sorts of things like eye contact and just being confident in your own skin can be sexy. I'm curious for people that are listening, what someone like you, who is like the epitome of sex appeal, um, would say um, to give advice to someone who might not be, you know, physically, they might not feel like they're the sexiest or they might not be a great dancer. How can someone be more sexy?
1: Right. Well, I mean, it's always about, it always starts with with you and how, what makes you feel sexy? Because the first problem people have is when they ask somebody like me, what I think is sexy. Like it's, you have to really get to the essence of what you as an individual feel and go into that. So if that for you is like, I'm going to go take that pole dancing class, you know, And, and that's like where you find yourself and you're like, I feel powerful, but like some people might go to that class and be like, I was wildly uncomfortable. Like I would be wildly uncomfortable there. I would. Right. Um, you know, even though I've, you know, I've, I've had a pole on my stage before, you know, <laughs> like, but I just am saying like, there's certain kinds of dance that I would feel like really like, doesn't feel, doesn't feel like me. It doesn't get to who, who I am, you know, like right. uh, a hip hop class or something, you know, like, like there's something I just be like, oh, my body doesn't know how to move like that. Yeah, um, I think it's like just noticing what it is for you and finding other, trying out different things and finding where you feel, like you belong and putting yourself in that place where you might feel uncomfortable, you know? You might be like, Whoa, that w- that was crazy, but I tried it. And then just, you know, maybe that wasn't for you. But or taking a tassel twirling class with one of the amazing tassel twirlers that's in my show, you know, like I think there's fun things that you can do. And I think it's also really great to like you know, find places where you can be around other women who are there just being, you know, playing and having fun. That's yeah. what I think is the key. I think like part of being sexy is when you are, you're having a, a good time, you're reveling in what you're doing. And like, for me, that's even the basis of every burlesque show is like, does this look fun? Is it fun? Is it playful? Is it about fantasy and spectacle, but with
0: a lightness to it? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think it's interesting because so many people, I think so many women get it wrong because they think sexy is like having on the least clothes as possible or, you know, looking a little bit, you know, too, too much. And sometimes that just, turns people off. And at the end of the day, it's more about feeling comfortable in your own skin and liking what you're doing and having fun. And I think that, I think you're right. I mean, the conversations I've had, and also conversations with men, they are more attracted to somebody who's confident and, and feels good in what they're doing or how they're representing themselves. The good men, anyway, you can say there's definitely some that will be like,
1: do not want you to find your power and confidence. You know, generalization is, you know, (laughs)
0: right but i think in terms of feeling confident in yourself yeah yeah totally you have to always you and know that you're never going to please everyone i always
1: i have a famous quote you can be a juicy right peach and there'll still be someone who doesn't like peaches like that goes for everything i know that's true for what i do and i never pretend that it's got to be you know globally accepted and like and further than that i
0: always think if everyone likes it it's probably pretty boring Okay. I love that. If you weren't weren't working in burlesque, what do you think you would be doing? Um, I probably would be, um,
1: I always say that like a big part of my job, I'm an aesthetic control freak. I'm very like, I notice every detail. And I remember like uh, watching this woman that I was on a photo shoot for Vanity Fair, like sometime in the early 2000s. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the job I would do. And her job was like, overseeing an entire production like is the hair right is the makeup light right is the clothes right is that thing tied right like i see all the the details you know i would be that person i'd be you know an aesthetic control freak i don't i don't want to even say stylist i would be like a beyond stylist because i'm i can i see the hair the makeup the clothes that everything yeah. details
0: so i'm curious there are people that you know are certain Um, person when they are their brand. But then when cameras are off, they'll put their sweatpants on, their hair in a bun, you know, they'll eat Doritos and, you know, they'll sit on the couch. Are you um, Dita Von Tees all the time? Like, we've never seen you in the magazines like Celebs, they're just like us. We never see you going to Wegmans or to Albertson's or whatever. Do you shop for yourself? Do you wear these clothes when you're shopping? Like tell me, tell me what you are like when the cameras aren't on. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, Dita Teese does eat a cheese puff at home <laughs> and like with
1: the orange fingers and everything. You know, like I'm don't, I don't see like the thing is though, like I'm wearing my I, I'm wearing a robe, like this is what I would be wearing, you know, like I just Yesterday I went grocery shopping for for the holidays and I was wearing just like a sweater and a skirt but I put on a really nice 1940s coat cuz like it's not hard to put on a coat it's cold out so right. and people all day were like wow, that coat is beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. I'm like, thanks. You know, I just feel like I love putting on something, even if I throw that coat over my athleisure so I can run, go to my, you know, workout and then, you know, put a coat over it. I just, I just enjoy presenting myself like that. And it's not hard. And it's like, an old 1940s coat that I paid less for than a modern coat, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I just enjoy it, and it's not hard for me. I'm well-practiced in it. I don't have, like, an alter ego or, like, a secret person that I don't want people to see. Hey, do I I, I don't want people to really see me, like, you know, eating the cheese puffs, you know, like, sit with the fridge open, like, eating the, you know, of course, I'm
0: stuck okay,
1: it. You know. like, I'm me? not, like, if you can get the feeling from just talking to me, I'm not, like, speaking to you in a glamorous... <laughs> Back about my beautiful, life, I I really don't like that kind of thing. I'm just like, you know, I I I enjoy like wearing red lipstick and like yeah. No, I but, get it. That's just, it's innately you. I mean, I get yeah, it. I totally, But not like I because I because I've met and I've actually met like other burlesque dancers that do this like this like I am so they have like the accent and they try to be like glamour glamour and I'm like oh It's just very like tiresome for me and it's not authentic and you can i can see right through when people are putting on airs as like this persona to feel be sexy be glamorous and it's like as soon as you are trying to be sexy you have failed because you don't understand what it
0: is right um you spoke before about music that you um genuinely like a couple of those people you mentioned are dead do you have someone who you listen to now that's alive um that that we would be interested in hearing what your music taste is.
1: Yeah. I mean, my music taste is across the board. I was, I did this thing once for Spotify. They, they, they called up my agent one day and this is like a couple, few, couple years ago, a few years ago. They're like, we want you to come to Cannes and we're going to listen to your, to they have this big convention called Cannes Lion, it's in the south of France we want, we're going to look at you're going to analyze your listening history and like don't try to be cool and listen to like try to change it we already got you, we already know what you do so I had to sit there while they analyzed my listening history and they were just like this is outrageous you know because <laughs> I listen to like electronic music because it reminds me of my like you know rave days um, and I listen to like Amy Winehouse, George Michael. I I you know, I love many kinds of music, you know. I but I like music that I can listen to someone's album the whole way through and I don't have to skip through things cuz I can't be bothered right. to make playlists. Right. But you know, I like a lot of different music. Lately I've been I've been listening to this Barbara Streisand audiobook, which is really great, and I've been digging into her first um like the songs that she was singing in nightclubs before and she never even had a singing teacher. ever. Oh, wow. uh, and it's like really interesting to listen to
0: her young voice when she was just starting out um, with no yeah. formal training. So I know you were in, okay, everyone's going to freak out if I don't ask you this, because you were in one of Taylor Swift's mm-hmm. videos, Bejeweled. Um, how did that opportunity come about? And obviously you have to tell everybody what it was like to work with Taylor. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, well, I was just sitting here one afternoon and um, I think I my... My PR was like, "Oh, we Taylor Swift's people reached out to me to ask to try to talk to you," and so that you know they her people called me and I'm talking to them like Taylor wants to do this thing. Taylor wants to do this thing. And then suddenly Taylor comes on and then we're talking and she knew everything about what I do. And she was very like, I love what you do and I want to showcase what you do because I think it's so great. And, you know, cause usually like people, I'm used to people coming to me and being like, Hey, can I borrow that glass? Thanks. You know, or like they just, you know, they just, I'm on their mood board, you know? Um, but you know it's one of those rare times that she and she said to me too she goes I see people like mimicking you and copying you and they don't give you credit and I was like yeah that's like (laughs) like." so she said you know I want to be side by side with you and I want to learn from you and I want you people to see what you do and I was like wow cool and it was amazing and she's you know, she's an amazing woman. And I was like, one of the, it's one of the few times that I've been approached in that way, you know, cause it's usually just,
0: you know, take yeah. it. <laughs> are, you, are you surprised at how big, especially this year? I mean, she's always been relatively big, but this year she has totally become one of the biggest stars, if not the okay. biggest star. Um, And, you know, I don't think a lot of people would necessarily say she is like the best voice, but she's one of the best performers and her, her repertoire as a songwriter is so yeah. unbelievable, and um, you know, I brought my daughter to her concert mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year um, in Philadelphia, and my daughter is still asking to go to another concert next year. It was like the greatest day of her life, and I just, yeah. you know, yeah. I love performers like that. We don't, we don't have that anymore. Like in our generation, like I listen to Michael Jackson, um, George Michael, you know, was Madonna, Whitney Houston um but it, you don't have stars like that i don't yeah. think any in- prince yeah so yeah, prince, exactly.
1: yeah like i feel the same way i was just like oh there doesn't it doesn't feel the same but you know then when you when you're like every generation talks about music in a way like well we had david bowie and we had you know prince and and right. you sound like you know the younger people just don't they won't hear it at all um yeah. but Yeah, I feel like that always happens, you know, but yeah, she, I, that was a long, I'm, that was a long concert. I remember like, it was was like four hours. And I remember I was sitting there like, you know, like in their little VIP area and her people were like, you should go now. (laughs) like. before the show ended I was like but I didn't see the bejeweled part yet and they were like no if you don't go you're going to be here for like three more hours and I was like oh yeah oh. right because getting out of there is like yeah getting out of there was like major but yeah uh, she's she's amazing and she's yeah it's yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very happy for her because she is I, you can feel her um, authenticity and kindness and she cares you know I, I feel like she cares about her fans and she's yeah. She's a good, a good person and a yeah. smart person making that video was an incredible operation. You'll notice none of it got leaked. I mean, the song was never played on set at all. Like it was super secret. Like we'd go into this little secure tent and she put the headphones on me and say, this is the song. And then we oh, wow. it, out. Mm-hmm. it was really, um, she's an amazing director.
0: Wow, that's so cool. Um, you are also in Don't Worry Darling, which of course became sort of, you know, tabloid fodder because Olivia Wilde was the director and she was dating Harry Styles during that. Do you have any good gossip from being on that? Um, show? I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't I don't know. I'm trying to remember
1: if I knew about it. I don't know. Um I just remember I, I remember one time a long time ago, I said, like I don't, it was like a Burberry show in London, and I was sitting next to Harry Styles and I'd never heard of him before. And the next day I had all this like hate mail, like email people, all these girls emailing about about like stay away from Harry and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And then I had to ask somebody go, Oh, it's Harry Styles. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. And he was just like the lovely guy. And um and then I got to the makeup trailer that morning and it was like the first thing we shot after, you know, like the one of the first productions to start up again um, after the COVID thing. Mm -hmm. And he like was so lovely and immediately remembered me and everything. And I was like, you remember me? He's like, of course, but he's like a real gentleman, you know, even when I was like in the glass doing the performance, which was just crazy because it was like, first thing back and I haven't performed in a long time and I'm wearing this like blonde wig because it tied in with the story and everyone's going crazy like all of the stars of the movie and it was like a really intense like intense scene um but really like a a fun moment it's a shame there was so much like drama around the film because I don't really know why there would have been, you know, it doesn't
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I think it it sent people to the theater to see Well, yeah, It's true but, now, right? So did Olivia actually direct you during that scene? Yeah Yeah,
1: she did um,
0: Yeah, and it was like, I just kind
1: of did my, my usual thing a few takes and then she said, okay, now we're doing one take where you know this thing and you're going to lock eyes with Florence his character uh-huh. And like it was like very much like just me doing my thing until we did one final take, which was kind of like a, you know, uh, the kind of it's it's a pivotal scene in the movie. It's like a moment right. where he figures everything out. So right, it was interesting. It was, it was me just being me, but um, uh, you know, still an important part of the movie, even if it was short. And I'm pretty sure it's like the best Swarovski crystals has ever looked on screen. Yes, I think so. Someone's like, yes, that's what it's supposed to look like. Whenever they show like uh, some uh, pop star at the Super Bowl, like with, they have a rhinestone microphone or whatever. And you're just like, that
0: doesn't, it doesn't show up at all. But
1: that is how Swarovski Crystal is supposed to look on, on screen.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. So let's talk about how people can come see you live now Um, in Dita Las Vegas, a jubilant review. You're playing in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe. Yes. The horseshoe used to be valleys
1: and we're in this, the the Jubilee theater, which was this legendary theater. Um, the stage is half the size of a football field. It's got, it was the great showgirl theater with all of the things that come out of the floor and out of the ceiling chandeliers that come down with showgirls on up. It's just like got all these bells and whistles. And, um, and the Rat Pack played in there, played there as well. So it's kind of this legendary space. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I have a feather in my cap it is that I'm using all of these incredible costumes that were in that review, all the Bob Mackie vintage costumes. And it's, you know, it's millions and millions of dollars worth of feathers and rhinestones. And um, it's a big, you know, it's a, it's a little. My version of a the a, a classic Las Vegas review with showgirls and show guys, and more feathers than any show in Las Vegas, and that's a guarantee. More feathers and rhinestones than any
0: show in Las Vegas, for sure. Wow. You, did you have a choreographer? Or did you really have a hand in all of in all of the show? Um, we, I had a choreography team
1: who worked with the cast. And a lot of it is like my it's like my life's work, like all of these different numbers that I've done besides the glasses, but we have all my glasses on stage at once, including the Taylor's glass. Um, oh. and so like like my bird I have a bird cage act, I come out of a big powder compact, I have all these other things, like tons of like my life's work, but we have other performers doing these numbers like for some of the
0: lesser known acts that I've done over the years. Mm-hmm. And what um, can people expect to see? Like, tell us just a little bit more about it. I mean, is it, does everyone get naked? Does everyone, you know, for people, again, who have been to something like this and are wondering what they should see when they're in Vegas? Well, they are extravagant stripscapes. So there is definitely
1: striptease. Um, it has that, you know, the, I think there's a difference between, like, the classic Vegas showgirl and the burlesque performer. Like, the burlesque performer is a striptease star and has a little bit more, like, inviting you in and sensuality and eroticism. And the showgirl is a little bit, like, more cool. There's a There were a lot of rules about the sh- topless showgirl. However, they were completely topless And um, in a burlesque we do the pasties with the tassels and and whatnot. So it's kind of like combining the two together and bringing my favorite bits of both, um, of both worlds together so uh, it's definitely sexy It's there's the biggest burlesque show in the world that ever there was so I'm very proud of that and I'm um, glad that we can you know we're the last we're the only show where you can see that true classic Las Vegas because you know there's other shows in Vegas and they have their they have their feathers but this is like these are the you will never see costumes like this anywhere else in the world I Amazing. and it runs through uh, April correct? Yes, I, I believe we're going to add some more dates. So, okay. but right now we have dates through April. And it's just Friday and Saturday nights? It's Thursday, Friday, slick Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then we're on New Year's Eve weekend uh, 28 through 31. I'm not sure when this airs, but.
0: Yeah, okay. So it'll be after that, but that's fine. Um, and then just quickly tell me like when you're in Vegas, how, like, what's your day in the life? Are you guys um, practicing all day long and then you go into the show? Mm-hmm. So- It's kind of like a
1: little bit of both. Like we do usually when I I come in on Thursdays on the same day of the show. So I'm usually like doing some um, tech stuff and rehearsal things. And there's always a lot to do. Um, (laughs) And then I usually have time on like Friday and Saturday before the show to kind of like go to lunch. Or, you know, I drive drive a vintage car on stage um, during the show. So I'll usually take that car and rip around the strip every once in a while. So you can kind of see me doing that every so often. (laughs) So I'm just getting my bearings in Vegas and there's definitely things that I want to see and places I want to go, but I just, um, haven't had too much time on my hands yet, but I will. Is there a show in particular that you'd love to see in Vegas? Mm, I mean, there's a lot that I would love to see. I'm definitely going, I was invited by you 2 to come see The Sphere, so I would love to come and see that. That's on my list of things to do on one of my days off, and Adam Clayton from U2 came to see my show, and Bono is a big fan of burlesque, and I had a whole conversation with him about burlesque once. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm trying to think of what I, I did see. I love seeing the magic shows. Yeah. I really want to see David Blaine do that show when he's, he's a yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen David Copperfield? No, I haven't. I'd love to. I really want to see the magic shows.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I lived there, my most favorite thing that I saw was Celine Dion. She was just, you know, lover or hater, she was just amazing in concert. and I I saw Britney Britney. Britney. Spears there too. I
1: saw Britney once. That was pretty great. It was interesting to listen to her audio book. Yeah, and all the stuff about Las Vegas. Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah. Love love Britney. Always a fan. all right. So for anyone who's listening, who finds all of this very interesting, who has had an interest in burlesque, how would you say that they can break into this? Are there classes? Is there something they should study? Is there a place they should go? Well, there is the, the
1: Burlesque Hall of Fame is in Las Vegas and they have my original martini glasses on display there at all times but I would say that would be a good resource to go and there's a big event there that happens every year um, like a there's like a they have like the legends showcase where they have some of the uh, old time burlesque stars and then they have a competition for all the new burlesque stars And then there's also Viva Las Vegas. There's a big burlesque showcase there, which happens. And the big car show, I think that's in April. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of local burlesque talent as well and and small burlesque shows to come to go see, you know, what the local less shows are like as well. I haven't been to any of them yet, but I know a lot of the, the performers and we have Dirty Martini who's a great world famous tassel twirler is in my show and so she's, you know, she always keeps me abreast of what's going on in
0: the tassel twirling world. Interesting. And I'm just curious, how does it work with you finding your talent? Like is it kind of like the chorus line where where people are, you know, applying all the time and you get to see these new interesting dancers that you're finding out of nowhere? Um, I mean, I look for burlesque talent that way, and I have representation of
1: authentic burlesque performers that are, I mean, in this show. Um, but I have a lot of like dancers, like that we've, that we did huge auditions in LA and in Las Vegas and cherry picked the best of. So it's like a balance of, um, professional dancers and burlesque performers.
0: Amazing. So everyone should uh, visit you when they're in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe um, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday nights through at least April. And then, where can they find you if they're interested in just following you, like your Instagram? You have a website. Yeah, I'm very active on Instagram and semi-active on Facebook,
1: um, but it's just at Dita Von T's with the double E's in it. So find me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And do you read your
0: DMs if people DM you?
1: Um.
0: Sometimes okay. depends on how busy I get. <laughs> so we won't guarantee a response, but but uh, people can find out what you're doing on there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dita, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Thank and you. good luck. show if I come to if I go to Vegas, which I do Very often, good. I am going to come see your show. Very
1: good. I hope you will.
0: Thank you. Thanks.